My name is Fortune Teller Baba, and you're listening to the Hermit Style Podcast. Now, where's my brother? I need my 10 zenny back with 57 years interest. Welcome to the Hermit Style Podcast. Talking all about the Dragon Ball Supercard game. From competitive play to the world of collecting, with your host, Jimmy Bacon. Yo, yo, yo! What's up, everybody? Hermit Style Podcast. We are back. It is Tuesday, January 18th. Welcome back to the show. Uh, no podcast was posted last week, so this is the makeup episode. So I'm doing two episodes this week. You guys will get this one and then another one uh, this coming Friday. So we got a double header this week to make up for last. And uh, yeah, but we're in this little competitive lull right now, right? Like Nats is over. Uh, we've finished up pretty much the competitive content for the podcast for this past season because there's, there's not there's no tournaments, nothing really to prepare for. We're all just kind of having some fun. Uh, so what we're going to do is for the next, I guess, really two months. It's going to be two months till the next set comes out. Uh, we're going to mostly be doing collector's content as well as content to help out new players coming into the game. Uh, if you haven't checked out the new video on the Hermit Style YouTube, uh, check it out and show a friend. It basically is a tutorial video to help teach people how to learn the game. Uh, Joku and myself sit down and play a game of Dragon Ball, and we just kind of walk through all the different aspects of the game. So it's a really good learning experience for new players. And I'm going to let this podcast kind of just go off of that and help people that if they were into it and they liked what they saw. Uh, today's episode is going to break down some different ways to help you get into the game. Uh, and if you are an experienced player, I am going to go on into just different things that I do personally about buying and selling and making smart decisions. So that way you don't lose too much money in this game. Uh, because if you make poor decisions, you can lose a lot of money and it can feel, it, it can feel unattainable. Like it can feel like this game is out of reach but no one should feel that way. This game is its very accessible. It's accessible to really anyone who wants to play. And there's a lot of different ways that you can strategize. You just have to be realistic and set goals. So we'll talk about how to do that effectively in this episode today. And I'll also give you some of my thoughts on Mythic Booster. <laughs> if you guys were in the uh, Discord the other night, uh, you probably already know how I feel about Mythic Booster. Um but I'm going <laughs> to, uh, spoiler alert, I hate it, <laughs> uh, but we'll get into that. We'll get into why I don't like this product and why I do actually like the idea and how if Bandai decides to continue this, if they change some things up and execute it a little differently, this could actually be an amazing product. So I'll get more into that. It goes a little bit better with the news segment. So we'll get into that then. And then, um, of course, we will wrap up with results of training and uh, some some questions from everyone in Monaco's delivery service. But uh, yeah, so let's uh, let's jump straight in the news. News from the Lookout. All right, so uh, first piece of news I will give today is we had a case tournament in Virginia Beach this past weekend at Comic Kings, and uh, it was really fun. I ended up going undefeated. I finished first place uh, overall, and then we didn't go into top cut. Mike was tied with me for first. We were both undefeated, and um, 
we just split the the top cut. Uh, it was a small tournament, but it was a fun time, and um, I was really excited because I went undefeated with Vigex, and Mike went undefeated with Baby. <laughs> so for like old school listeners of the show, you know how hype that is. And to make this the perfect hermit style finish, Mike and I went and ate Chipotle during the last round because we just drew. Why would we play each other? We both already made it to the top cut. So um, so we drew and <laughs> drove to Chipotle to grab some food. So uh, yeah, that was, uh, it was, it was a fun time though. Uh, just, I love going to locals. Like, I feel really bad for anyone who doesn't have a strong local community because it's a, it's such a blast just getting to play in person and seeing all your friends, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so we got there with the Gex. I'm actually going to be posting a deck profile on the YouTube. And for those of you who are on Patreon, uh, as long as you're at the tier where you can see the articles I post, you there will actually be a full play guide coming out. I'm going to try and finish it tonight. I know I've been teasing it a lot. I'm going to try my best to finish it tonight. So hopefully by the time you listen to this, if you are a patron, you can log on and see the deck list and a long, long, long synopsis of how I play the deck and how I play in different matchups. But yeah, it was a blast. I'll get more into my matchups and whatnot when we go into results of training. I can talk a little bit more about that. Uh, But moving on from the case tournament, um, I, I guess this is a good segue because, okay, so from the case tournament, it was for Mythic Booster, right? Mythic Boosters came out, so we all, it was top four split, so we all got three boxes, and oh, Mythic Booster. <laughs> this is a product that could have been so amazing, and honestly, I cannot think of one aspect that shined other than the singles market has made these cards very accessible to players and very cheap. So that's a good thing, right? Like accessibility, players being able to get the cards that they need, that's always a good thing, okay? Uh, No complaints from me there, that's fine. But in every other aspect, this product was a huge failure, so much so that I've physically seen shop owners say online that they do not know if they will continue to carry Dragon Ball Super card game products. Personally, I think that's a little harsh just to judge it off this one set. But you know, if... Maybe this was a shop that just recently started stocking Dragon Ball and they got Mythic Booster and Set 10 11 reprint set. They're, they, you know, I can see that opinion. Like, I don't know why they would ever stock this again. Um, I think both products were pretty big failures for a lot of reasons. Um, I'm not going to get into the reprint set, uh, mainly because we already knew what that was. Uh, it was kind of honestly to be expected. Uh, but Mythic Booster, on the other hand, was not. So let, let's let's dive into this a little bit. I can give you my reasons why I didn't like it and what they could have done differently. So I would say, number one, uh, and these aren't ranked in any specific order. I just listed them. I don't know why I said number one. But the first point I will make is the price point. So they marketed this as a premium product and they charged a premium price for it compared to any other Dragon Ball set we've seen. This is the most expensive, right? And there's really no reason for it. I don't understand why. I mean, th- there were reasons, like the number of cards in the pack or something. I don't know. But realistically, you get one foil, one gold stamp in each pack, and then that's it, right? So I don't really understand the price point. It was marketed as a premium product, but in reality, it was not. Um, and especially when there's no new cards to get. These are all just reprints. When 
a lot of the the reprints, there's a good amount of them. I think the original just looks better. Um, but I guess that's just, that's more subjective. That's not really to the point, but regardless, why am I going to pay all this extra money to get reprint cards? It doesn't make any sense. This should have been at a cheaper price point. Maybe you put less cards in the pack. Maybe you make less gold stamp cards. I don't know. That that's it's not my job to figure out the distribution of it, but it, it should have been at a better price point. Um, overcharging for this is just silly in my opinion and really killed a lot of the sales that stores could make. Uh, which brings me to my next point is the quality. If you're going to charge a premium price point, I expected the quality of these cards to be amazing. And this quality is terrible. Quality is awful. Uh, gold foiling on most of my cards cracked. Uh, if you look closely at your Mythic Booster cards as you start looking through your gold stamp cards, I can almost guarantee you, you'll start to see ones where the gold foiling is cracked if you look closely. That's not acceptable. <laughs> uh, and then on top of that, the cards warp really badly, really fast. So if you are opening them, they need to go away quickly. Uh, if you're in a room in your house where your cards can warp. Uh, so that was really unfortunate. Uh, and I mean, Dragon Ball cards tend to warp some. Uh, most sets do, but th these are pretty bad. These these ones warp pretty bad and pretty quickly is what I've found. So the card quality just isn't there. Um, and it should be. If you're, you know, I, I don't want to pay money for a premium card. Like, it's like paying all this money for, I don't know, like you get a Tesla, right? Like, like you pay all this money for a Tesla and then it just breaks down randomly, like, and things don't work and you start having to pay for repairs. It's silly, right? If you're paying for a premium product, you expect to get that premium quality, that premium service, and it wasn't there. So that was unfortunate. And then on top of that, right, when we're all ordering Mythic Booster, and especially stores, right? So when stores are ordering Mythic Booster, they don't know anything about it. They just know whatever description Bandai gave them, which is typically very minimal. And then as customers, when we are pre-ordering it, trying to get the best price as possible, we don't know what cards are in it, right? The card selection ended up being awful. I mean, look at these cards. There are very few of them that are currently playable in this meta. Like, there's some, like, right? We got D-Magic, but D-Magic we already have judges of. I mean, it's nice. We did get a full art, so that's cool. Some people are excited about that. That's fine. Uh, Sensu Bean. We already had a Sensu Bean reprint from Anniversary Box, which I think is absolutely better. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> um... But we didn't need that. Uh, after Image Technique, that's a cool one, right? We're going to play it in the new Red U U7 deck. That was actually, I think, a solid pick. It does have the Judge, but this After Image looks... I think it looks really, really good. I'll probably play them over the Judges. Um, we had the Thwarting Gold Stamp. That's cool, I guess. But we did have the Winner version. Uh, but that makes the card more accessible. So I'm okay with that one. Uh, then we got, what, Kowitsukai. Kowitsukai is a good one. Uh, but there aren't, many, there aren't many others. The SCRs... Most people are not playing those SCRs. Maybe some people are playing Celzino, but not many. No one is playing the SS4 SCR, uh, so I don't understand those. And I don't know. The selection just wasn't good. I'm paying all this money for these boxes, and I'm the chase card is literally Sensu Bean? That sounds insane. Why is the Why am I trying to pull a Sensu Bean in 2022? That sounds crazy. Right. So the selection just could have been way better. They could have actually looked at what cards would be relevant um, in the format that they'll be releasing this and tried to at least cater to them. Obviously, they wouldn't have had event data, but 
they've tested the sets. They should know something about them. They could have been a little more planned out and just a stronger card choice in general, uh, which ultimately is killing the prices on the cards because no one wants them. No one wants most of these reprints. I pulled a gold stamp trunks helping blast a three drop green card. That's great. I'm glad I just pulled a penny out of that pack. Like, it's just nuts. Uh, the card selection was just bad, in my opinion. Uh, so the fourth thing that I think they could have done better is the timing of the set. All right. They can't do anything about delays, right? Delays were out of their control. I understand that. It just sucks. We live in a crazy world. COVID messes a lot of things up. Um, but the timing was just poor. Why they would try to do this reprint along with the set 1011 reprint is beyond me. They should have just axed the set 10 and 11 reprint, taken just the few cards that people want out of them, and put those in Mythic Booster, and taken out all of the random cards from Mythic that nobody wants. That would have been way smarter. People would have saw value in it, and that set would have sold. Instead, they have two sets that customers do not want to buy, and stores are stuck literally selling this for less than the cost they purchased it at. That has never happened in the history of this game. Never. Like, never happened. Um, and all they had to do was just time it right and think about what they were doing. But instead, they released Gift Box, they released Mythic Booster, and they released Set 10 and 11. So we get Mythic Booster early through Gift Box, which is going to hurt sales from Mythic Booster. We get Set 10 and 11 at the same time, so now people are mixed on what to buy. And then the set drops and we see the value just tank. Tank. The value has been terrible. It's climbed up a little bit today for some of the good cards, but the set is still awful. Like if you buy sealed, you're negging. You're going, you're losing money when you buy sealed in this. Um, but probably no chance. Like you better pull the Cell Zeno Altar SCR. That you better pull it. I hope you do. And I hope you pull a Sensu Bean and you're fine. But I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Good luck selling your Android 18 Perfection Spray Gold Stamp cards. <laughs> good, good luck. Um, so yeah, that that was rough. And then the ratios. The ratios don't make any sense. Ratios do not make any sense, right? Like the ratios have to be done very strategic. They have to be done in a way that if you buy a single box, you have the upside of plusing, like a huge plus, right? You also have the possibility of losing out a little bit, but not just sinking all your cash into a worthless box. DBS has never been like that. But the ratios are literally so bad. There's only three Sensu Beans on average per case. Three per case. That's one of the biggest chase cards. There's only three per case. But then you look at like thwarting and there's a million of them. Like it's just... I get it. Like they were trying to put more thwartings in the player's hands, right? We already have sense of being, so let's make this only three of per case chase to get this gold stamp card. But then you look at the SCRs. You get two of each version of the SCR. Or let me rephrase. You get two of the, the silver foil, right? Like the normal foil SCR. And then you get one each of the Altar gold stamped SCR. Per case. Those SCRs are worth nothing now. Like you're guaranteed to get essentially six SCRs in every case. So the silver foils are worth nothing. And the gold stamped, the value on them is awful. Uh, the sell, I want to say is around 60 bucks. 
the Vegeta around 40? I mean, come on. <laughs> like, come on. That's crazy. And we're paying more than a normal case for Dragon Ball. Like, I don't know. The ratios are just off. They they should have been better. Like, I need more of the cards that I can actually sell. I need less of the cards that I can't sell. It's it's one gold stamp in every pack. I should at least be able to pull a playset of Sensu Bean. Like, at least give me a playset. Only three? Three Sensu Beans, but six SCR? I mean, come on. That, like, that can't sound, like, saying that out loud, that can't sound right once I say that out loud, right? Like, six SCRs, three Sensu Bean. That doesn't sound right. All right, I'll stop blabbering about ratios. Uh, then the last thing is rarity, right? So if that was the case, they should have done something to ease, more easily identify rarity. Because realistically, a Sensu Bean is a much more rare gold stamp than some of the others. I would consider Sensu Bean more like an SBR and some of the other gold stamps more like an SR. So the rarity is just weird in this, just having only gold stamps. I think they could have done something to differentiate, maybe two levels of gold stamp, maybe even do a silver stamp and a gold stamp. I don't know. But the rarity is just off on this. So I don't know how to fix it. Actually, that's probably the only one I don't know how to fix. Uh, but there needs to be some way for players to easily identify what are the more rare cards. Because we're buying this product, I was expecting there's no way I don't pull at least a place at a Sensu Bean. I open the case and there's three. That's crazy. Like, obviously, you're never guaranteed anything, but supposedly this is the norm, right? So when it's a new product like this, there needs to be some way that we can at least get a little more insight as to what are the rarity of these actual cards and then advertise that because that means that the sense of being should be selling at a higher price point than the others. So it kind of just messed up the whole market because no one really knew what was going on with this set. So communication could have been better and there could have been a, a better way to differentiate rarity between the cards. But those are the six things that they got wrong that I think they could easily improve. Um, they can make this a smaller set. You get less cards per pack, less packs, and make it at a smaller price point. Please, for the love of God, increase the quality of the cards. I don't want to be pulling these cards with crack foil. Card selection, please make them competitive cards or make them solid cards for collectors. But do something like, no, I don't know. I, I felt like no one won here. Uh, timing, come on. That should be obvious. Two reprint sets at the same time is silly. A reprint set alone can be a hard sell, but now you've dropped two of them. Just combine them. Take out the bad cards from Mythic. Put in the set 10, 11 cards, and boom. We have a set that sells wonderfully. Um, the ratios, please fix the ratios. Only pulling three of the Sensu Bean is just crazy um pulling six scr is also crazy could be easily fixed by just saying okay you get one of each normal scr and then it's a toss-up you're guaranteed to get one of the gold stamps so you either get the vegeta or the Celzino. now immediately the scrs are actually worth something um so ratios are just off and then rarity you know if you're going to make certain gold stamps more rare than others then classify it Right. Don't leave that up for everyone to interpret or assume, because then we have this really strange market that's all over the place, which is what happened. Uh, and unfortunately, the result of all of this was stores lost out big time. Stores took a big loss on a lot of this product and anyone who bought sealed took a loss on this product. I'm hoping the prices continue to trend the way they've been. So there's at least some value in this because 
look, I get it. I know there's people listening to this saying that, you know, I'm not thinking about the players because they can buy singles for cheap. I get that. That's cool. I want you to get your singles for cheap. However, there has to be value in cards. Mike and I have preached this since the start of the podcast. It is a good thing to have valuable cards. It's a good thing. Why would I ever buy a box when I know there's no value in anything I'm buying? I'll never buy it. I'll just buy the singles. And then what happens when you only buy singles? Well, stores can't sell the product. What happens when stores can't sell the product? They don't want to carry it. And all of a sudden, the game as a whole starts to suffer. So there has to be enough value in the cards that people want to buy the product so that way the market can be positive and flourish. Uh, this set did everything wrong and it did everything to, to basically do the opposite of that. So I'm sorry, Bandai, you know, I'm always going to be truthful on this podcast and this set was bad. Um, the, the people who won obviously were people who bought singles and bought singles as soon as the full mythic booster released. Y'all made out like bandits. Um, especially if you picked up cards like dimension magic, sensu bean, Koitsukai, thwartings, because those gold stamps are going up. Like they're definitely going, like I definitely knew they were going up. I just sold them because I didn't want to take any risk of them going lower. You never know. Right. But they should go up. And so far today, that's what's been happening. So that's good at least. But overall, the value is still just terrible, terrible on the set. And, um, you know, eventually if sets continued like this, Stores don't want to carry the product. And that that is a real issue that we don't want to happen. We need stores to support the game. We need stores to keep this going. And yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's really not that complicated. It's that simple. Uh, so sorry to be so negative about this, but I felt like it's important to say. I feel like it's important to get it out there. Uh, it's okay if you disagree with me. Everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Um, obviously, this is just mine, but... I don't know. I enjoy having valuable cards. I like to see the market flourishing. I like to see sets that actually sell for stores. I like to see people get excited when they pull a big card that they want. I mean, if every card's just worth a dollar and <laughs> it doesn't matter what the card is at some point, you're like, well, well, oh, well, you know, at least that's how I am. I don't know. Like if I know what I'm, if I know I just spent, we'll say $70, I spent $70 on a box, right? I had 24 packs and every card was worth a dollar. I don't really care how cool the how cool the cards were. In my head, uh, I just spent seventy, and I now have twenty four dollars worth of value. I feel awful right now. <laughs> I feel terrible. I feel like an idiot. I just got played, right? And you don't want you don't want customers to feel that way. And um, yeah, so I think everyone understands the point I've made. I'll stop rambling and keep going on with the news. But Bandai. Please do better. If you do this again, I think it's a great idea. I love seeing reprints. I love seeing alt arts. I love gold. Like the gold stamps are great. Just do better. Like this product could have been a huge hit. I would love to see it come back improved. I'd love to see it. I'd love to buy it. And I'd love to have some cool looking cards for, for my decks. And please reprint Revenge Big Bang Attack. <laughs> uh, okay. So anyways, next piece of news. The Dragon Ball Super Card Game Fest was announced. Uh, so this is super exciting, actually. It's actually pretty funny. Uh, when me and Mike were driving to Chipotle, we were talking about how they're going to have to have like other news to fill up the next month because they did reveals for this new set super early because the new set doesn't come out till March. So, And the reveals are pretty much done other than the God Rare. 
So we're like, dang, what are they going to be announcing? And we were talking and I was like, you know, there's probably some unprecedented like events and things that they're planning that they're going to be announcing. And they wanted to show us the cards first to get us excited. That way, when we hear these events get announced, we'll be like, oh, we can use these new cards to play with them. And so far, I was right. Uh, today, they announced the Dragon Ball Super Card Game Fest, and it actually looks really, really fun. So it's supporting a bunch of different regions. Uh, North America gets two tournaments. The first one is March 19th through the 20th in Texas. Uh, Play TCG is hosting the event. And then the second one is March 26th to the 27th in Florida, hosted by PPG. And registration goes live. You can sign up online on January 21st. Uh, I don't know if they set a time on there, but you can go look at the Facebook page. I just know that it definitely goes live January 21st. So you'll, you'll want to be quick on this one, but I think the cap for the, they're having them in pretty big spaces. I think the cap was like 516 players. I want to say when I read it, so there, there's going to be a lot of room. I wouldn't wait. Obviously it's always good to sign up right away. So now you get your spot if you want to play. Uh, so January 21st, just mark your calendar, make sure you check it. I'd imagine as long as you check it that day, you'll get in. Uh, there is also support for Europe, Oceania, um, Latin America, and Asia. So that's cool to see as well. And then there's a bunch of cards that they're giving out that you get for participating and then more for winning. So I'm not going to go over all of them because there's honestly a ton, but I am going to go over just a few that I thought were exciting or I thought were at least intriguing. So the participation set is a 10 card set. Uh, it included two new reveals. So we got two new reveals. Uh, one was, well, they're both for green Android leaders, basically. Um, the one has to do with tapping four to play a cell Xeno or a seven or eight drop cell. So that's really interesting. Uh, if you guys follow the Hermit Style Instagram, I posted this about 10 minutes after it went up to go grab your set two cell SPRs if you don't have them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, lo and behold, they immediately all sold at around the $20 price point and now is at $35. So if you wanted them, hopefully you follow the Instagram and saw it. Uh, if you don't follow the Instagram, I guess now you have more reason to. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's really interesting. Granted, you can only do it on turn five. And I believe in total you have to tap five because the card actually costs one and then the effect costs an additional four. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of misinterpretation on that, uh, but shout out to Hurricane GL in the Discord. Uh, he's one of our Kami House gurus, that's Brian, and um, he actually clarified for everyone today uh, to make sure that everyone understood that ruling. Uh, so appreciate that for sure. Uh, so that's really cool though, but you can check out both the reveals. They're both uh, on the Facebook page. On If you look at the pictures, where this announcement was made on the official Dragon Ball card game page. Uh, you can see both of them. We don't know if they'll actually be good or not. Um, all the buys are speculation, but that's how this game goes. Uh, but other than that, we saw the Gotenk six drop. So for green Gotenks, you guys know how much I just love that deck. Not really. Why they printed this, I don't know. Stupid. Don't buy that card. Don't buy the deck. The deck's terrible. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get my green go tank slander in. Um, moving on to good cards, there was Turles All Too Easy. So cool that they are reprinting that. Uh, that's also a hint that that's not going to be on the ban list. So if you thought that that was going to get hit, I would imagine it's not. That'd be very weird for them to announce that card is getting a reprint. Um, five drop Golden Freeze at the yellow one. That's super cool. That card is sick. 
Uh, that card is like really good. I've liked that card since it came out. I just don't play yellow a whole lot. Um, but for those who do, five draft Frieza, that, that is a really cool card to have a better art of because we only have the SR version. Uh, all right. Then we have a vault set, which also has 10 different cards. Um, one of them is the realm of the gods, yellow extra card, which is really, really cool. They already have a really sick SPR of that. So I'm excited to see what they'll do as an alternate art. Uh, also just some things I found really interesting. One Gogeta Godspeed, the eight drop blue card is in this vault set. Yo, know, I, I want, like, I want to know what they are doing with this card. Like, are we getting more so the set 17 going to have some like wild blue Saiyan support? Like what is happening? Um, I don't, maybe it's just another random one who knows, but I'm excited cause I've always been a fan of that card. Just never really wanted to play it in any decks that I play. So hopefully this will, something will drop that'll incentivize me to want to play this. Hopefully the art's really cool too. Uh, also we got Bulma bunny girl. Um, so that's pretty exciting. That was one of the set 10 SRs that did not have an SPR and has always had some good value on it. Uh, so really cool doing an alt art of it. The five drop green Frieza that goes in King Cold is getting a reprint. Um, so that's cool for the King Cold players. And then the four drop Bojack. Are we getting more Bojack support? I don't know. Would be pretty cool. I'm sure Zenbutai would be hype. <laughs> um, all right. And then let's see. The next set is a unison card set. Um, and they, they classified it quite literally as a unison card set. So we don't know how these are being distributed. If you need to like make a certain place to get these sets. I don't know. We don't know how you obtain these different sets of cards. The only obvious one is participation that um, you'd assume you get X amount of participation packs for signing up. The rest is unknown how these will be distributed. Um, but it's all unisons in this 10 cards, uh, some really cool ones. We get the set 11 blue baby unison. Yo, we finally get an alt art. It did not get the SPR it deserved. So oh, I pray that they get this art down good because, oh man, I'm excited for that. I love that card. Um, that is really cool. And then the boo unison, uh, the, the blue boo unison, uh, the one that everyone plays the four drop. I can't remember the name right now or what set it's from, but the blue unison that most blue decks are playing. Um, that's cool. It already has a really cool SPR, so I don't think it needed the alt art, but cool that they got it. It's a very playable card. So at least we got that going. Uh, also have the yellow trunks unison and then the red piccolo junior unison. Uh, so definitely some really good picks for unisons, very playable cards. So that's exciting. And then there is, <laughs> it keeps going guys. Uh, there's the event pack. So they announced the new event pack and of them, some interesting ones I thought were selves earth destroying Kamehameha. I don't think this is necessary, but I'm sure they can do a lot of cool things with the art. Uh, maybe they can make up for collector selection. I was a little disappointed with that one. So maybe they can make this one a lot cooler. Uh, they got the Piccolo Jr. Unison again. I, that one lost me. Why they would do the same card in two of these sets, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but sure, sure. Uh, the four drop U7 Vegeta, the new one coming out in set 16. That's awesome because that's a deck that I'm personally going to play. So I'm excited to have an alt art for that. Uh, Piccolo Jr. Two drop from Draftbox. Desperately needed that reprint. So that's cool. And then Rosie from Battle Evolutions, which also needed a reprint. So also really cool. Uh, and then, oh, finally, Gogeta Xeno players can stop having non-foils. Uh, we got the Kai. That TP is finally getting its foil reprint. 
Um, so the Kai that plays the unison from warp. So that's awesome. We finally get that. And then, uh, another repost, <laughs> like, like we already didn't have enough mecha freezer repost, but here we are. We got, we got another, um, all right. And then the last thing they revealed was that there will be a winner SCR alt art. So they are doing the Supreme Kai SCR, the, the one from, um, not the new one, not the new one, the older one. Um, but that's all they said. So winner SCR. So we don't know what that means, but uh, that's really cool. Uh, that makes me really excited. Uh, unfortunately, so far, for me personally, this isn't enough for me to want to go travel to the event. Maybe I'll be more enticed once I see the actual prizing. I think this is all great. Don't get me wrong, but I would have to fly. This just isn't enough for me to want to book a flight and a hotel and a car rental and the whole shebang L little too much for this. Uh, for me personally, that's only for like really like Nats pretty much is one pretty much the only event I'm going to go all out for like that. Uh, but I think this is an awesome event. There's a lot of really good card choices for this, which is much appreciated. And yeah, if you can make it, I think it's going to be fun. I can't wait to hear more details about how these cards will go out and what, you know, how your placement what you'll win from your placement and everything like that. So no, good, good job on this Bandai. This, this was a good thing. Um, the more events, the better and a new fresh event to get everyone excited is great. So that's great. Great job. And that's it for news. So let's hop into our main topic, how to get into Dragon Ball Supercar game. Turtle school weekly focus. All right, so with the Discord getting a lot more popular lately, we've we've started to get an influx of a lot of players who are new to the game and they want to know like how do I play? How do I get started? How do I learn the rules? How do I buy cards? What, what is a smart way to all these questions, right? Any anytime you get into a new hobby, you you just it, it's new. You're like you're learning everything. Everything's new and sometimes it can be a little intimidating because there is there's a lot, like there's a lot of different aspects to this game and it's kind of hard to just jump into, right? Like I was lucky. I got into this game literally uh, maybe a month after the official release. So set one was the only set out is pretty easy. There weren't really any barriers to entry. There was no OP, no organized play. There's no organized play established. Uh, there's like <laughs> nothing really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was very easy for me to get into and kind of learn everything. But now there's all these different sets. The carpool is huge and it's kind of just like, where do I start? So I'm going to try and help break that down today and give you some tips. And again, for those of you who are more experienced players, I do have a lot of tips in here of, um, you know, different buying and selling decisions, different ways that I play test. So hopefully you also get some value out of this as well. Uh, but let's get started. So I broke this down into basically four main segments. Uh, the first is learning to play. The second is how to fund your cards and start your collection, however big or small. Uh, third is really getting goals and getting competitive, if that's for you. And then fourth is kind of just a catch-all to just have fun. <laughs> right? Because that's why we're in this. So let's start with the first main part of learning to play, right? Uh, so this is, again, more for players, for collectors listening. I'm actually going to start doing collectors content on the next episode. Uh, but I thought this was really good because Joku and I, like I said at the start of the episode, just put out the tutorial video. 
Um, so I think this is a really good kind of follow-up to that to help people really dive in. Um, so number one, I would say if you want to learn how to play the Dragon Ball Super card game, download the app. The mobile app actually does a really, really good job at teaching you the fundamentals. Guys, I'll be honest. When, when you join the Discord and you say, I've never played and don't know how someone teach me, I don't want to. <laughs> Like, like no one wants to sit here and basically read the rules to you when you could have done it yourself. So I understand. And hey, if you've got a friend that's willing to do it, that's awesome. That's, that's great. And if someone in the discord was willing to do it, that's awesome too. But I think it is much better and much more time efficient for you to just take it upon yourself to download the app and just learn the basics of the game because it can take a while to get through all of that. And honestly, the app is really efficient, It kind of walks you through it, holds your hand and forces you to kind of go through the basic motions of a game. And if you have that understanding, then you can actually jump in the discord and have people help you learn how to really play um, because there's a complete difference from just understanding the fundamentals and then learning how to actually play a game of Dragon Ball. So step one, get the app. Do your own due diligence, take a little bit of responsibility on your own, you know, and just go through the whole thing. Uh, if you want, there's even, I think there's a quick start guide, like a little quick start rule book on the, on the official website. You can read through that as well to help. Um, but get started, get your feet wet and get a basic understanding. Um, because especially then when you actually start playing people, you can actually ask questions that are relevant, you know? You can ask questions that are relevant, that are actually helpful and things that might be a lot more difficult for you to obtain on your own. Um, something that the person you're playing is you can use as an actual resource where they're the ones that have that knowledge, you know, like why waste your time and their time when all they're doing is the same exact thing you'd be doing on your own, just going through the app. But once you've done that, I think the second thing to do is just dive in, build a deck and play. Uh, if you have not watched, if you're listening to this and you're a new player and you're, you're wanting to follow these steps and jump in a really great way to start, hop on the hermit style, YouTube, check out the tutorial video I did with Joku. We have a game we play where we walk through every step of our game and we are playing with the most basic decks possible that are extremely, extremely cheap to build. Literally, you can build these decks if you don't include the secret rare. You can build them for probably $15 to $20. If that, that's probably, I'm probably like over what it would be, but you know, tax, shipping, maybe, maybe we get there. So very, very cheap. It's basically all skillless cards and we just kind of walk through the fundamentals of the game. That's a great way to just build a deck and start playing. That way you can actually start walking through the motions of a full game yourself and really get a good grasp on the game. Once you've gone through that and you've built a basic deck, you've gotten some reps in with it, then build a real deck. Just build a real deck. Net deck someone. Ask in the Discord for a good deck list to start. It's just, you know, say you're a new player. You haven't really built like an actual deck that plays the game. You just built kind of basic little starter decks. We'll help you. Some great options for you to look into are Green Go Tanks and Yellow Sin Shenron. Essentially, I always recommend building a deck that is pretty linear. What I mean by that is Dragon Ball can have a lot of play lines. You can be looking at your hand and there might be 10 different options of things you can do. Uh, but there are some decks that make it really simple. And a lot of times only like 
maybe one to two options of what you'd want to do uh, on most turns. And Yellow Sin Shemron and Green Go Tanks, as much as I hate Green Go Tanks, I do think it's a great deck to teach new players how to play real Dragon Ball. Um, so yeah, those are two choices. And there's more. You know, there, there's, there's other choices. Set 16 is coming out soon, and the new Red U7 deck, the Goku Leader, that's another going to be another great deck to teach people how to learn to play because it's just a pretty simple deck. You can build it in a way that's pretty linear and straightforward, and uh, it's fun, right? It's fun to play. So I would say number three is build a real deck and just play. Ask for people to play in the Discord. Just play as much as you can and just learn your deck and start learning what your opponents are doing. Start getting exposure to different decks in the game and understanding how different decks strategize how they're aiming to win and just kind of start really exposing yourself to all the different things in the game. Uh, and then I think it's at that point that once you've kind of built a basic deck, you've built an actual real deck and played at this point, it's time to kind of consider your goals, right? Um, and by the way, I guess before I get into this, you can proxy those decks. You don't have to actually spend the money to build them. You can just print off the cards and just just slide them in a sleeve, tape them to some cardboard. It, you don't even have to tape them to a real card. You can cut up a cereal box, tape them to some cardboard, and sleeve them up. Um, that's a great way to do it. Or I literally, when I proxy cards, will tear up pieces of paper and just write the names of the card and their effects. Uh, for a new player, that might be a little tougher because you have to remember everything. So that's why I said for a new player proxying, you probably want to actually print the images of the cards. But that's a great way to experience the game and experience a real deck without paying the money for a real deck. All right, so back to number four, consider your goals. It's time to make some goals and really start, just start thinking about what you want to do in this game because there's a lot of different levels, right? Like, are you going to be extremely casual and just play fun decks, show up at local sometimes, and just play with some friends? Are you going to be semi-competitive where... You know, you're going to show up to locals every week and if there's a regional in town, you'll go and hope you do well, but that's about it. Or are you going to be hyper competitive? Are you in every tournament? Are you in every regional? You're grinding for Nats. You're playing at Nats. You want that world's invite. Like you want to go all the way. So you have to really start understanding your goals and then talk with people to learn how to best get there. Um, again, I know I keep referencing the discord, but it really is a great place to hash all of this out and get some really good feedback on how to attain these goals. Um, I could sit here for hours and talk about how to obtain each one and different ways to do that. But ultimately, not only will that take too long, but that changes. That conversation will change every time a new set releases, right? So it's best to, once you've decided your goals, just talk to the community, which we really do have one of the best communities to talk with and we'll help you realize how do you get to those goals. If you want to be a filthy casual and play for fun, that's awesome. We will help you build the best jank possible. If you want to be hyper competitive, we will grind out those games with you and help you test against those top tier decks. So it ultimately will depend on your goals and that can kind of structure how you go about moving forward um, in your I guess we can call it your career <laughs> in, in Dragon Ball. All right. And then I would say last is you have to venture into the meta and just continue playing. So once you've built a real deck, you've played some games, now it's time to say, okay, I understand the game. I know what my goals are. This is the kind of deck I want to play. I'm going to build this deck 
and then I need to test it against real decks because whether you're a casual or hyper competitive, the reality is Dragon Ball is a game where even at the local level, people are generally going to play top tier decks, at least in my experience. I'm sure there's some locals out there that aren't like that. Um, but I know a lot of times at locals, you are still going to run into those meta decks. So you want to start playing against them. You want to start familiarizing yourself with the meta. That way you are more well prepared for it. Um, because it's really no fun to just build a deck for fun. You've only tested it against fun decks. Then you go to an event and just get stomped all day because you had no idea what yellow Icarus does, <laughs> you know? Um, so you have to venture into the meta and actually play against real decks and play against real players playing those decks, play against people better than you play against people who are established in the game that can actually give you real feedback on what you're doing and how to do it better. But I think those are my five steps on learning how to play. And once you've gotten to that fifth step and you're venturing into the meta and you're wanting to play against real decks, I think at that point, you now really do understand the game and we're kind of ready to take this to the next step. And that next step we're going to talk about is funding your cards. This is the second big thing I want to talk about today. A lot of people go about this wrong. One thing I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate is I'll hear it, we'll call it the, the voice of public opinion. <laughs> um, the voice of public opinion will chime in and someone, you know, will, you just always hear these people come in and say that the game's too expensive. You can't play this game because, you know, every good deck costs thousands of dollars. And it's just not true, guys. It's really not true. Yes, there are expensive decks. And yes, if you wait too long, a lot of the top tier decks will feel not accessible to you. But there are easy, easy, easy ways you can build highly competitive decks for A, not that much money, and B, get your collection to a point where it doesn't even matter. You can move things around, make trades, and sell, so you can essentially get any deck that you want um, after your initial investment into the game. So let me explain. I'm going to break this down. There's actually quite a few steps here. I broke it down into eight different steps, um, but we'll start with number one. I'm going to assume you're a new player. If you're a new player, that means you may have come from another card game. If you are no longer playing that card game, use it to fund your Dragon Ball. I'll give you a perfect example. When I played Dragon Ball, I played through the first few sets and then I took a break to play Keyforge. I literally sold off as much of my Dragon Ball collection as I could and used all that money to dump into Keyforge and I built a highly competitive deck in Keyforge and then a ton of jank ones, right? When I got out of Keyforge, I started selling those decks off so I could build my Dragon Ball collection back up. It seems obvious, but sometimes people don't think about that. You may have played Yu-Gi-Oh when you were 12 years old <laughs> and you may have a lot of old cards just sitting around in the closet. Use those. Those are resources. Those are cards you can sell to start building up your Dragon Ball Super Collection. Believe it or not, those old Yu-Gi-Oh cards sell. Those old Pokemon cards, some of them sell. Um, so use the resources you already have to start building up uh, some revenue so that way you can actually use that to get Dragon Ball cards. Um, so that's number one. Just use what you already have. Uh, number two, don't just dump all of your money immediately into some deck that you want to play. Put money aside and buy at a proper time. If you're coming into the game in the middle of a format and you just say, all right, you know what? I'm going to dump all my money into this tier zero deck. 
for example, if you came in when Vigex was broken, you know, at the start of this pod, I was just destroying people with Vigex. The deck was insane. Like anyone could take Vigex and go top a tournament with it. It was way too broken. Everyone knew it was going to get hit. But if you came in at the end of that and just said, oh yeah, I'm dumping $700 and building this Vigex deck. And then the next day, all the cards got banned. Yeah, you're going to be pissed. You're not going to want to play, but that's on you, right? Buy at an optimal time. If there's a format about to start and they've just announced a ban list, that's a great time to say, okay, here's a deck I want to play. I've now put enough money aside to buy it. Don't just buy into some tier zero deck in the middle of a format, then it gets banned, and then all of a sudden you're out all this money. Put money aside a little at a time, use it to buy a highly competitive deck, and then use that deck to go grind out events and win more cards and start building up your Dragon Ball collection because now these are all resources you can use to get new cards. Uh, but yeah, that, that tip is essentially just don't dump all your money right when you get in into some random tier zero deck without doing your research. You can ask, ask in the Discord, hey, like where are we at in this format? Has this deck been around for a while? What are the odds it gets hit? We'll tell you. I can tell you right now, Yellow Icker is probably getting hit. Do not dump all your money into that deck if you're like, oh yeah, I want to build Andrew Duvall's first place world uh, champion deck. I wouldn't do it. I would wait for that ban list to hit first. Um, all right. So that's that tip. And then kind of coinciding with that is you want to dive into a color to start. You know, um, you want to dive into a color. You don't want to just go into just, I, I see some people trying to get staples of all these different things. That's usually a bad idea. If you're just getting to the game, start just really focusing in on one or two colors or one or two archetypes and make sure that they're good. Make sure that they're good. Make sure it's a color that you know you want to play that is going to get you the goals that you want to attain, right? Because we already built our goals. So if that goal is I want to be hyper competitive, start investing in a color that everyone feels is a competitive color. Like I don't think anyone would tell you right now, invest in green right? <laughs> no one would tell you that because the color just isn't that competitive right now. Um, so invest in a color that's strong or an archetype that's strong and start picking up those staples for it. If you notice that a staple is cheap, it's a great time to pick it up. I'll give you a perfect example. Last week in the discord, I said, Hey guys, I think blue baby is coming back. Everybody knows we love blue baby. I said, pick up your staples. That card was a dollar and it went up to now four or five bucks per card. That's still not very much. I would still say that's a great buy. I personally think that card is should be probably $25 at least. So if you see a staple like that for the color archetype that you play, pick it up if you can afford it. Um, that's a great way to start slowly building up your collection with solid staples. And if you don't know what to play, just ask. If you don't know what to buy, just ask. We'll help you make those decisions. All right. So the next part is, and I kind of referenced this earlier, but grind out those tournaments once you get your deck together. And if you haven't taken that real big first dive into getting that competitive deck, just build a powerful budget deck. There's plenty of, King Cold is a great budget deck. You can go take to locals. Um, there, there's all kinds of different decks that you can take and do very well with that do powerful things. Um it's, it changes all the time, but like, you know, right now, King Cold is a great option. Um, Yellow Sin Shenron, you can build in a pretty cheap way. Green Gotenks, you can build in a pretty cheap way. They're all decks that can go do just fine at locals. 
just fine. So build a powerful deck. If you don't have the money for some top tier deck or whatever deck you want to play, that's fine. Set a budget for yourself, build the best deck you can with that budget and go grind it out at locals. Grind it out, start getting to the point where you can start winning some prizing and farming locals is a great way to build up your collection. If you go every week, you get your tournament pack, maybe once a month you make it to the top cut at your locals and you win a couple extra tournament packs. These are all cards you can now sell or trade to invest back into the color you're getting. But again, you got to have that goal. Like if you're like, all right, I'm a blue player. I really am enjoying blue. I, I really like, maybe it's Soul Striker. Maybe it's Blue Baby. Well, if you go to, you know, your locals and you win a tournament promo, I don't know what you win. Maybe it's a SS3 thwarting, right? I know that's old, but we'll just use an example. Well, you're not playing black. Go trade that to the black player or go sell that online and then use it to pick up more blue staples. That's a really smart way to keep building your collection. Okay, so number four is you still have to understand your goals and you have to set your limits. You know, don't overspend, don't spend too much. Set your limits on what you want to spend and really stick to them because nothing feels worse than not sticking to your limits, overspending, and then you either don't like the deck, you don't perform as well as you thought, or the worst case scenario, the card gets banned. You know, in all those cases, then you're really going to feel you're going to feel that resentment. So know your goals, set your limits. I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, the next one is make smart purchases. And there's a lot of different ways to go about this. Uh, we'll start with sealed product. With sealed product, never just buy a single box. Unless you just enjoy cracking packs, that's fine. Buy your box. But it does not make financial sense to just buy one box of Dragon Ball cards. It's too expensive. And your chances of getting a hit are too low, especially if you're going in and paying retail. But there is a strategy to buying sealed. If you want to buy sealed, and this does take a lot more of a, I'll call it a down payment. Um, it, it does take a little bit more to spend. But the way to buy sealed is to buy in cases. That's the only way. Now, if that's too much, find a friend and split a case. But I would never split a case more than two ways personally. But if you get a whole case of Dragon Ball cards and you can get it at a good pre-release price, and I would say a good pre-release price is anything under $900. If you can get a case under nine, which I know some of you listening just heard that and went, whoa, and like you want to turn the podcast off. It's okay. You do not have to do this at all. But for those of you who can put out that kind of money, I can almost guarantee you with most sets, you can do really well off that $900 investment. Remember that you're going to pull two SCRs out of a case and those two SCRs a lot of times on release will be around $200. So just both of those alone already pay for about half of your case, right? And then you have all the different chase cards, your SRs, your SPRs, your foils, and plus you have to deduct the cost that it would have cost you to buy the cards that you need for the color you've invested in. Now, this isn't financial advice. This is for entertainment purposes only. Obviously, buy at your own risk. If you buy a case at $900, there is an absolute chance that you lose 100% of that $900 and cannot make any of that back. I am, there are no guarantees, okay? You have to make your own decisions and do your own research. But from my experience, 
I have probably in the history of buying cases, which I've been buying cases, full case of Dragon Ball since set seven is when I started just going all in. Um, maybe twice have I ever not broken even. Maybe twice. And I will say almost every time I end up making at least a few hundred dollars on the case. And then I just cycle that money back into investing into the color that I want. Um, and if you do this enough times and rinse and repeat, you can actually play Dragon Ball for free. But you have to be smart. You have to buy at pre-order prices and they have to be good prices. Anytime I see a price under $800, that's an incredible price point and I'm typically going to buy the case if I want that set. Now, if it looks like a bad set, this logic doesn't apply. Don't buy it. But if it looks like a good playable set, then yeah, I'm going to buy a case. Set 16, I can tell you right now, I have two cases and I'm working to find more because I think the set's amazing. Um, I can tell you that there were other sets, like I think it was Supreme Rivalry. Uh, I did not buy a case. <laughs> I did not buy a case. Uh, so you really have to do your due diligence and do your own research and decide what you want to do um, because I buy a case every set, but... There are times where I, every now and then where I'm like, you know what? This set, it isn't worth it. Staples just aren't good enough. There's not enough good cards. There's no chase cards. I don't want it. Um, and those are things that you kind of have to decide for yourself. And obviously we talk about it in the Discord a lot and we'll help each other out with making those decisions. But again, uh, I can, you know, if you have had the same experience, I'm sorry, I guess, but that's been mine. My experience has been at this point, I can essentially play Dragon Ball for free. My collection is big enough. I can just rotate enough cards, trade them, sell them, move them, that I can essentially move into any color, play any deck, and just keep it going. And it's all from the strategy of just buying the sealed product, grinding tournaments, and just getting turning those cards into the cards I actually want. Um, I don't know if I can be any more clear than that. Hopefully that makes sense. And again, that's just what I do. Um, so that's my experience for sealed. Now, if you're like, you know what? That's way too much of an investment. Like, I'm not that into this. That's okay, too. You can buy singles. We have an amazing singles market for this game. You just have to make sure you time your purchases. Do not pay the hype prices at pre-release. They're always going, well, I won't say always. They're almost always going to be hyperinflated. If I need singles, I tend to wait until maybe like a week after the set release and then I'll look into picking them up if I still need some. Uh, you'll notice that a lot of times they will dip and they will dip pretty harshly. Um, now, again, this isn't always the case. We've seen some cards were just really good right off the rip and the price just skyrockets. So again, buy at your own risk. If you really believe in a card, maybe you do pay the early price on it because you think it will raise. That could happen. In my experience, I would say more times than not, the price goes down. Um, so for me, I'll gamble it. If I lose out every now and then and have to pay a little more, that's on me. But at least I know most of the time I'm winning. For me, this is a numbers game. It's a risk management game. And that's the best way for me to manage my risk. All right. So, and then I would say the last thing is when you're picking up cards, listen to the people around you that know what they're doing. Like if you look in the Discord, I can't tell you how many times Mike has popped in, John Carlos popped in, Armando's popped in, I've popped in and said, "Hey, this card is really cheap right now. You should go buy it." 
And a lot of times we're right. And that card goes up. All of a sudden a tournament happens. People play the card and boom, the price goes up. Blue baby is a perfect example. We said for months, guys, blue baby is insane. Got to pick it up. Got to pick it up. The deck is too cheap. And all of a sudden the deck went from a $100 deck to like a $500 deck. I mean, it went up like literally 5X. So listen to people who are experienced. And if they're talking about cards that are good for a certain color, and that certain color is the one you decided to invest in, if you can afford it, I would say pick it up. Um, but yeah, you just have to make smart purchases. You got to time them right. If someone just bought out a card, it's not a good idea to pay the hype price for it. It's usually a good idea to wait it out if you can. And wait till that set releases. Also, a great time to buy uh, like max rarity, like you want to get your SPRs, is I've noticed that a lot of times it is once the next set is about to come out, SPRs will hit really, really lows, like far, far, far low. Any of them that weren't widely played competitively, they'll be insanely low. And if any of them are in your color and you want to pick them up, I would always do a little check on TCG Player and see, okay, what ones are cheap and try and pick them up then. So that's another tip of things. That's that's what I do a lot, you know, towards the end of a set, start of a new one, I'll look at that last set's SPRs and say, okay, what what is cheap here? And a lot of times you'll find some pretty cheap cards um, so that's another good way you can pick up cards early, uh, because you never know if the card looks good to you and like it could be played in the future. If it only costs four bucks, you might as well pay four now instead of paying 80 later. Uh, all right. So let's see. So next, um, we, we talked about the sealed, you know, we talked about that whole game, but again, do your own research. Um, and then huge is just local trading. Utilize your locals, utilize your local community. When a set releases, you and your local should all be talking about what cards you need, getting together, making trades happen, because that's really the best way to get your cards is through your local community. It helps support your local game store. It helps support players. And a lot of times in my experience, local players are much more likely to give each other a good deal. Um, now to coincide with that, the Hermit style discord is kind of like its own little local community and we tend to help each other get the cards we need uh, right when sets release. So that's another resource you can use. If you get to level seven in the discord, you get access to the marketplace and then we have buy, sell and trade channels that are constantly popping off. So you can get in there, find the cards you need for cheap, you know, utilize your friends, utilize your community before you go online to just buy the card at an overinflated price on you know, wherever, wherever you buy the cards as singles, um, you can usually find a better deal through your local community, through the discord, or you can obviously always use the buy sell groups on Facebook. I would say use them at your own risk. Um, anytime you're doing any transaction with anyone online, you have to be careful, do what you need to do to protect yourself. I won't get too far into that for this episode, but just be smart, you know, do cross off all the marks so you don't get scammed and um, do your due diligence, only buy from reputable sellers and all that good stuff. Um, but ultimately, you can usually find a deal on cards if you just ask in those communities, in the Discord, in the Facebook groups and say, hey, I'm looking for this card. A lot of times, someone will have it. They will sell it to you. Always get 15% off, guys. Always get 15% off of whatever the TCG low is. If you can't get that, just don't buy it. I would say the only exception is SCRs. I can understand maybe 10, only 10% off on those, but always get at least 15% off. If you can't get that, just tell them no thanks and move to the next seller because you can always, always, always find the cards at that price. 
Okay. Um, I think that is everything for funding your cards. So to kind of summarize that, use your resources you already have. If you have cards from other games, use them, trade them, sell them to turn into Dragon Ball cards and invest in that single color. Invest in that single archetype that you really want to dive into and just start picking up all the different staples. That way, when the blue deck you're playing gets hit, the next blue deck that you can play, you've already got a bunch of the cards for. Um, when you're buying cards, decide, are you going to really put in a big down payment each set and do the sealed game and try and make your money back and use that to fund your collection? Or are you just going to try and pick up singles for the cheapest way possible? Either way, know the strategy and know how you want to go about it. Uh, utilize your local communities and utilize tournaments. Grind out those tournaments. A really big tip too I missed is webcam regionals. Even if you're a new player, sign up for webcam regionals. Every single time, the participation prize so far has been worth more than, or I'm sorry, I messed that up. But the participation, well, yeah, yeah, the participation prizes that you receive just for signing up are worth more than your entry. So that's another great way to build up your collection and move some cards. Now, if you do the later regional, sometimes the value goes down. You have to pay attention, again, do your own research. But that's a great way to build up your collection as well. But utilize those tournaments, locals, webcam regionals, anything you can go to to get more cards, do it. Uh, and then, obviously, utilize the Discord. Utilize the Discord I'm always hooking people up in there. You can ask. I, I give really good deals to everyone in the Discord, way lower than what I sell for in my store. Um, and a lot of other people have followed in my footsteps and give the same or even better deals. So definitely reach out to people there. We will take care of you. We will help you get the cards that you need. Okay, now we'll go into the third branch here, which is, I would say, getting competitive. So, you know, we've gotten to where you've learned how to play. We've gotten to where you started to fund your collection and now you've dove into a color and you can now play most likely the most competitive deck of that color. So now you want to actually get competitive. You want to start testing your skills, right? So we're going to break this down into six different areas. Uh, the first is going to be recognize the format and recognize the meta. So understand what decks you're going to be playing against and make sure that the deck you're taking is smart. If you're like, man, all right, so this is a perfect example, right? I love Oob. Oob is one of my favorite decks, but it will literally lose to every single tier one deck right now. There's no possible way I could fathom playing this deck competitively. I love the deck. Now is not its time. It probably won't have its time to shine ever again because it's just been outclassed. Um, hopefully they do a reboot, but I don't know. Probably won't. But you have to understand the power level of the current decks and make sure the deck you're taking at least has some positive matchups against them. If any deck you're taking, you know, loses to a majority of the tier one decks, the top decks in the room, you cannot play that deck competitively unless your goal is to lose. And that's just being very, very honest. Uh, number two, you need to practice against those decks. I can't tell you how many times in tournaments, regionals, I'm playing against people playing a deck that is definitely a known deck and people are asking me, what does that card do? You should have enough practice against at least the top decks in the room that you know what their main strategies are. Like I was playing the Gex after it had been out for about six months and I was in round six of a regional undefeated and my opponent asked me what splintering mind does. Now for a new player, sure. But round six undefeated, what? That's real wild to say. 
You should understand the decks, understand the key, you don't have to know every single card, but understand the key cards, the key components of what makes them work and practice against them. If you practice enough against them, you will start to learn this naturally because you will see them do the same thing repeatedly and repeatedly. And that is the only way you're going to learn what they do and actually get some good reps in against those decks. Uh, number three, this is going to sound very harsh and I'm going to read it exactly as I wrote it in my notes. You will not win. <laughs> uh, sounds a little negative and a little harsh, but let me explain. I see all the time people come in that are new to the game. They've been playing a month. They just put their first deck together and they just start complaining nonstop. I can't win a game. Let me, let me, let me try and make it make some sense for you. Okay. I tend to do a lot of martial arts analogies because I, I'm a martial artist. I've done martial arts my whole life. I ran a school. I taught martial arts for 11 years. Um, so it's easy for me to do these analogies and I think they're pretty universal. So let's say you walk into a martial arts school, you sign up, you're really enjoying it, right? And you've been training for one month. After a month, you sign up for a tournament in an expert division. You get your ass handed to you all day long and then come back to your dojo and complain to your instructor that you're losing. Okay, that sounds ridiculous, right? You're playing against seasoned martial artists. You're, 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 you're fighting literally some of the best people in your area. And you just started a month ago. They may have dedicated their entire life to this. Yet you're complaining that you're not winning. That sounds, you sound like a crazy person, right? Dragon Ball is a very skillful game. It's very skill intensive. You will not win when you're first starting. And that is okay. That is how you learn. If you expect after one month to beat some of the best players in the game, to beat people who've been playing the game since set one, and you know what? You might. And if you do, that is awesome. Great job. I'm very proud of you if you did that. But the reality is most of the time, if you play against a quality player, you're just, they're just going to outplay you. You're going to be making mistakes you don't know that you're making, and they're going to punish you for them. But that is how you learn. You have to change your mindset. You have to change your mindset. You have to understand your inexperienced and use that as a learning opportunity. You have to check your ego at the door and understand that the problem is you, right? The problem is you. The problem is you misplayed. The problem is maybe your deck selection isn't great for this format. The problem is maybe your deck isn't built optimally. The problem isn't that the game is bad. The problem isn't that your opponent is cheesing you. The problem isn't that your opponent was cheating you. Well, I hope not. Uh, <laughs> The, the problem is you're just not experienced yet. You're just not there yet. And that's okay. That means you have opportunity to grow. My favorite thing to do in this game is go in and play against people who are really good and just get clapped, just get destroyed because I'm learning. It's no fun for me to go in and beat someone and I just don't even have to try, right? I want to get better myself. You only get better by playing against people better than you. And guess what? When you're new, almost everyone's going to be better than you. Now, maybe this doesn't apply if you're coming from already a highly competitive card game. Some of those skills do translate and you can probably pick them up a lot quicker, but there is a learning curve for every single person. I don't care who you are. If there wasn't, we would see players that are high quality players from other games just come in and win all the time, but that doesn't always happen. And there's also a reason why we see the same names and top cuts of a lot of tournaments. 
Andrew Duvall is the world champion, but I can guarantee you if you follow this game, you have known who he was for quite a while. And there's a reason for that. He's one of the best players in the world. The variance in this game is obviously there. It's a card game, but the skill far outweighs the variance. And that is something that you're going to have to learn and accept. And honestly, it's a good thing. It means he has something to work at. It means he has something to get better for. Uh, but please don't be that person that comes in, loses 10 games straight, and then just complains that the game sucks and you hate it and you want to quit. No one wants to hear that. And honestly, you, you <laughs> like... I don't know. Um, I don't know. Maybe you need to be humbled a little bit because honestly, as disrespectful to people who have dedicated so much time into getting so good at the game, (laughs) then there's a reason they're beating you. So use that opportunity to learn. And that brings me to my fourth point. Get feedback after every single game. After every game, when especially when you're new, but really always get feedback. If you're playing someone and they just destroy you, just say, hey, you know, thanks for the game. What could I have done better? Or what went wrong? Do you have any advice for me? Maybe not everyone in the community is friendly, but I can tell you, I can't think of one person in the Discord that would not give you some good feedback after you play them. Ask for feedback and then do with it what you will. If you don't think it's great feedback, that doesn't mean you have to use it. It's no different than anything else in life. But ask for that feedback, take what is useful, and use that to make yourself a better player. I can guarantee you if you're only a month or two into the game, you're making countless mistakes that you don't realize and an experienced player can help you start to understand them. Again, whether it's in your deck selection, your deck building, the decisions you've made, maybe the cards you decided to charge, when you decided to combo, different play lines you decided to take. There's an infinite amount of things it could be, but get that feedback, take it, understand what they're saying and use it to make yourself better. Okay. don't make up excuses as to why you lost. Don't talk about how you're unlucky. Don't talk about how this deck is broken. Be honest with yourself and just use it to make yourself a better player. All right. Number five, play in everything and play as much as possible. There's no reason to wait to sign up for a webcam regional. There's no reason to wait to go to a locals. I would say the only reason is you don't know how to play. If you're still on that learning to play part of where we were earlier in this show. If you've learned how to play and you have a deck, you should be playing as much as possible. Go to those tournaments. Go lose. Go get last place. Keep doing it. Eventually, you're going to start getting better. But no one is going to get better if they don't start somewhere, right? So you have to get in there. You have to start signing up for tournaments. You know, we do events in the Discord. There's events in other Discords. There's online tournaments. You have Bandai Official. There's so many opportunities to play. And if you don't know how, I I don't know what you've been listening to this whole show, right? I've given so many ways that you can get into this game and play. And it's really, really simple. And we've made it really accessible through Hermit Style. So... You just have to get in there and do it. Um, I, I guess, you know, for some, it can be intimidating, but ultimately we play this for fun. So have fun, play, learn, check your ego at the door and just do it as much as possible. I can guarantee you if you are playing against quality opponents and you're doing all the things we talked about so far, you are on the right path. You are going to start winning. This game is difficult, but at a certain point, you will be able to start topping events. Maybe not the most prestigious events in the world, but I fully believe that any single person that listens to this podcast and actually does what we talk about 
I fully believe that anyone can go top a webcam regional. Anybody. I fully believe it. And we've proved this many times. A lot of the people who have talked webcams are from our Discord. They're fans of this show. It's just you have to put the time in. If you're not willing to put the time in, it's probably not going to happen. Um, and then number six, I would say, is utilize your resources. Utilize everything you possibly can to help you get better at the game. If, I mean, this podcast is a resource. The Discord is a resource. The Facebook groups are a resource. Tournament data is a resource. YouTube is a resource. Your local community is a resource. Use everything you can that you have at your disposal and take advantage of it. This game is so, 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 so accessible. And a lot of the best players in the game, you can talk to it. I was literally just in, we were just talking in the Discord. I was talking with Sublet. I was talking with Armando. Armando won the side event at Nets. Literally day two at Nets, he won the whole event. Sublet is arguably one of the best players to ever play the game. He has more tops than probably most players will ever have. Um, they talk all the time in the Discord. Utilize those resources. Everyone is very friendly. They're very nice, and everyone's very willing to talk to you. Now, don't go blowing up their <laughs> their DMs and asking for advice all the time, but post post in there. We will all help you out. And if you want to get a little more out of it, we do have the Hermistyle Patreon too, where we offer coaching. We offer more competitive content because honestly it was asked for. So if you want even more out of it, you can step up your resource game and you can pay for more resources. But honestly, that's not even me here to sell you on that. That's just another thing that you can do. Like I said, from the start of this, you can listen to this show every week, practice, play all the time and 100% top of webcam regional. As long as you are following these steps, just utilize all the resources you have available to you and you will be surprised what you can accomplish, honestly, pretty quickly. There is a learning curve and it can be tough, but once you really start getting the hang of competitive play and you start really understanding your deck and your play lines, you'll notice that that curve starts to sharply turn up and all of a sudden you'll really start performing well. All right, and now the fourth, the last thing is just a general statement. You have to have fun with it. I, there's gets to be this stage with, I'll say newer players, maybe five, six months into the game where they've gone through these phases, right? They've learned how to play. They've started to fund a collection, their cards, and maybe not even a, I say collection. That might mean you literally have your deck plus maybe a few sets of staples for that color. That's perfectly fine. But either way, you fund it some sort of collection. You have a competitive deck and um, you started to get competitive. You've really put some time to study the format. You've really practiced those matchups and understand how they work. Um, you've put some real, real time into playtesting with real opponents who are qual. That's another thing, guys. It's got to be quality opponents. Like, if you're testing as a tier one deck, but your opponent sucks, like, no offense, but it's not real. You have to play against opponents who you know are quality players. You can find them. They're in, a lot of them are in the Discord, but you have to make sure that you're getting quality reps in. But I see all the time that you get to that step and then you go into regionals and you just start losing back to back. Maybe a whole season of organized play. Maybe it's your first season playing and you don't top that webcam regional that you thought you'd top. I see all the time people that just want to quit after that. But you have to remember why we're playing. Like the whole reason we're playing this isn't to top some tournament. You know, this isn't a game that you play professionally. You cannot just play this game as your career. 
we're playing this for fun. <laughs> so you have to have fun while you're playing it. You have to enjoy it. And honestly, if you're not enjoying it at all, maybe this game isn't for you. But on the other side of that, maybe you also just had to change your mindset a little bit. Maybe you were just a little too hyper-focused as your sole goal is winning. Especially as a new player, your sole goal of this game shouldn't be just winning, right? There's all these different experiences. There's friendships to be made. The, the game's just fun. I love playing the game. There's that adrenaline rush during the combo step. There's that adrenaline rush when your opponent's going all in and you're seeing combo out. There's so many really cool aspects of this game that it's just fun to play. Um, so just remember that. Remember to enjoy it. And maybe the deck you're playing isn't for you. Uh, maybe high competitive play isn't for you. Maybe you just play this game more casually, but ultimately you have to have fun with it. And if you're six months in and still playing, you probably think it's fun. You probably think the game is fun. Maybe you're not having fun losing, but you think the game itself is fun. That means you got to stick with it. Remember why you're playing it. You'll get there. You just got to put the work in and keep trying. It takes years for some people to top a tournament. It takes years sometimes, but that's fine. You know, it, it, everyone's going to have a different experience and how quickly they start to succeed and how quickly they grow in the game. And some people are going to do different things to get there. Some people will take that extra step and sign up for coaching. Some people will literally play every single day for hours on end. Some people will be testing sets the day they become available on untap before the sets released. We all have different levels of dedication to the game and that will affect how quickly you succeed. But at the end of the day, we're all doing it because we love the game and you have to remember that. Uh, all right. That is, uh, that's going to wrap us up. That's the whole topic for today. So hopefully if you are a new player that helped give you a little bit more in depth, uh, into how you can get into the game, how you can get competitive with the game and how it really isn't all that scary to buy into the game. It really doesn't cost thousands and thousands of dollars it's all in how you think about it. I may pay $900 for a sealed case of Dragon Ball, but if I make $1,200, that means I'm now up $300 to spend on cards for free. <laughs> so it's all in how you think about it. And yeah, maybe that tier one deck does cost $1,000, but maybe there's a new and upcoming really strong deck that you can pick up for 100 And maybe in two months that deck pops off and it becomes $500. And maybe you sell that deck at that time and now you have $400 to invest into a deck that you really do want to play. So like I said, this game is attainable. It just, you can't look at it on the surface level and wait for the prices to spike and just think, oh, this is how it is. It does take a little bit more than that, unfortunately, but that's a good thing. It's good to have value in your cards. That way you're, I don't know, it's, it's, it's more worthwhile, right? Like, Maybe I'm alone in that, but I like to know when I have a deck that I've built that's really strong and then I get to succeed with it, that that value goes up. And I'm like, yeah, that, that, like that feels good. That feels good to have value in what you have and what you own. At least for me, it does. So anyways, I will wrap this up. Thank you for listening to my TED Talk. <laughs> uh, hopefully you found it helpful. And uh, let's uh, jump into results of training. Results of training. All right, so uh, you made it through a solo main topic with me. <laughs> I'm sorry if that was painful. I know I didn't have a guest this week. Uh, I'm working on a guest, though. I'm working on a guest for this coming episode this Friday. Hopefully it will pan out, and uh, we'll get into some fun collector's content, which, by the way, 
important for players, even if you have no care in the world about collecting, I think it's very important that we start bridging that gap and start at least understanding both. If you're a player, understanding the collector's perspective. And if you're a collector, understanding the player's perspective, because ultimately more knowledge is just, it's just helpful. It's power, right? Like, if I understand a collector's mindset and their perspective, I can now more accurately gauge what card prices will be. And now I can make more educated purchases on what I need as a player. Um, I can also know what collectors want. And then I can know what cards that I can pick up and maybe sell for that are more desired, right? And maybe I can make a little profit to help fund my own deck if I know I got a pristine copy that a player really wants so he can, or that a collector really wants so that he or she can grade it. Um, so, I think it's important that we bridge that gap. So the next few weeks after this episode, I'll be talking more about collecting. And again, hopefully, hopefully I'll have a guess, but we'll see. Anyways, we're on to results of training. Um, of course, sponsored by Promats. If you don't have a Promat, go get one. Um, I do this spiel every single week and it is because I believe it. I do not make any commission off of Promats. Anything you buy from Promats, all of it is to him because he deserves it. The product he makes is incredible. The mats are amazing quality. I have yet to have my hermit style mat fray or anything. Granted, I do take good care of it. So, you know, if you take awful quality of your stuff, uh, or awful care of your stuff, I mean, I, I can't speak for you, but <laughs> I take good care of my things. And this mat is still in perfect condition. I play with it every week and it has done me no wrong. It feels great. The quality's great. It's thick. The stitching's perfect. I highly recommend. He has new art and new designs all the time. Check him out. And I promise I will have the pre-order up soon for Hermit Style Cloth Mats. I really wish I could get it up. I wish I had the time. But I'm going to make every effort to get that up this week. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, but Promats, check him out. Promats-Customs.com. That is Promats-Customs.com. Okay, so results of training. Oh, this is an exciting one this week because we get to talk about the uh, basically a tournament report, right? So took Figex to the Comet Kings case tournament. Uh, I was very happy. Went undefeated. Uh, it was a pretty small tournament, but I went 3-0. And then fourth round, me and Mike drew, like I said earlier. Uh, Figex, really powerful. I think it actually gets a lot stronger for the next format. We were just talking about this. I think it's actually a really solid call. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we're going to work on it. I I feel really good about the deck. It's not the most competitive deck in the world, but I I think it has an opening where it can really sneak in and, and maybe top some events. I don't know. Um, but it's really strong. I play a control variant, and we'll run through the matchups. So let's see. So round one, I played against Soul Striker. You can actually see that game on Broken TCG's YouTube. Um, the game pretty much went how I expected it would go versus a blue deck. Uh, he made a couple misplays that I was able to capitalize on. We actually talked about them after, so he, he he knew what they were too. I also made a couple misplays. Basically, he um, he used a one of his baby counter counters to counter my Oceanus, but it was at a point where he couldn't kill me. And when you're playing that control deck, you have to like use them when either... It, it's your kill turn. Like you use it during your kill turn and, and no else. Um, and he, he didn't have that as if you go back to the Joku episode, we'll refer to it as a checkmate. He didn't have the checkmate set up 
and that was his checkmate, and he kind of lost it there. So you have to use that golden baby ape when you're ready to go for game. Um, but ultimately, you keep your petrification for Kefla. Um, you or Debora. You have Debora or petrification for the Kefla, and that's really like the big thing. You do not want to let that Kefla just game you because that Kefla arrival can come out, tap your energy, and just wreak havoc. Um, so we've got Debora counterplay, and we've got petrification to handle that. Um, and then ultimately you wait until it's safe to play Gogeta 8. <laughs> you just start playing it and you're either going to mill them out or kill them one or the other, depending on how they play the game. The way that one went, I kept them at eight life until the second to last turn of the game, which I think we we're on turn 14, maybe 15. I don't know. It was a very long game. I think I reset my deck twice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Oceanus was just clutch, just shut down a ton of turns and um, yeah, just the defensive options in black right now are really good. They're really strong and they can shut him down. He almost had game. He played Shroud at Foo. I had the unexpected turn for it. And then he went to 17 me and I had the Jiren for it. And then that was pretty much all she wrote. Uh, round two. Oh, and I did have two crucial misplays in that game. One, I kied his Kefla like an idiot when he had a Gogeta unison on board. So he just bounced it back to his hand. I, you can hear me say in the video, like, does that work like that? <laughs> I just, I blanked on that. So that was stupid of me. Don't do that. <laughs> do not steal their card when they can just Gogeta it back to their hand. That's bad. Don't be bad. Uh, I, I just really wanted to kill his unison. That was, that was it. That was just silly of me. Uh, and then the other misplay I made was I let him bottom deck my Gogeta because I attacked with a battle card. Um, I attacked with a battle card when his unison still had a marker. So he just nanked one and bottom decked my Gogeta. So that was silly. I could have killed it first. Um, that misplay was because I knew we only had a minute left in the round and we weren't done game one. So I was trying to play faster. Uh, but that just is what it is. I don't, and also guys, when you guys watch local matches online, you have to remember that you're local. <laughs> like it is wild how critical some people get in the comments for a local game. Like I can tell you when I'm playing it local, you can ask anyone. I have my phone next to me and I'm watching football the entire time, literally watching football the entire time. I'm texting people. I'm talking to people. I am at locals to have fun. Okay. I'm like not in the hyper competitive mindset. Uh, like, obviously, I want to win. Like, I'm playing to win, but like, no one, right? For one, no one's cheating. <laughs> like, we don't have cheaters at our locals. Uh, if we did, we just would let, no, trust me, between Mike and I, they would not be allowed to play. Uh, no one cheats. And we're just there having fun. So, you know, it is what it is. Sometimes the games do go longer. Sometimes I'll have a conversation in the middle of a round. Sometimes my opponent does. That's okay. Um, but <laughs> cut, cut the people on there some slack. You can be mean to me if you want. I don't really care. But but like cut the people on there some slack. Um, we're at locals. We're learning our decks. We're having fun. Sometimes the rounds take longer, you know? And also locals are a good time to really take time to think out your plays. So that way you can play faster when it matters. Like I can tell you in a competitive setting, I'm never taking an hour to play one game of Dragon Ball, taking 30 minutes tops. doesn't matter what deck I'm playing. Um, very rarely will I ever play a game that takes longer than 30 minutes, usually in 20 minutes. I'm, uh, like I, I practice at a point to get there competitively, even if I'm playing the slowest deck in the game. But at locals, you want to think through your plays. You want to do everything you can. That way it, uh, you know, it, it, it helps you for that competitive setting. 
um, if that makes sense. So, all right, I'll get off my spiel about that. Second round. <laughs> uh, second round, I played Cooler Mill. Unfortunately, I was playing the Gex, so that is an auto loss for Cooler Mill. There really isn't anything that they can do. Maybe if I was the aggro variant of the Gex, he'd have a chance. Um, he does have some defense where he can neg cards, but I'm the control variant. I have a really big hand. On average, my hand is 15 to 20 cards, uh, my hand size. So I think at one point he had four to my, like, I don't know, 15, 14, something like that. I mean, it was, it was like huge hand disparity. He can't mill me out. Uh, he can't swarm the board with enough attackers to overwhelm me. He can't push through an Oceanus. Uh, there's really nothing he could do. So that, that one was pretty simple. Um, not too much to talk about there. And then my third round was versus... Um, Oh gosh, why am I forgetting off the top of my head? <laughs> um, okay, so in the last round, I played Android 16. Uh, Android 16 can actually be pretty rough for Vigex. Um, luckily, game one, he didn't see a unison, and I saw all the answers I needed. Um, honestly, with 16, I just pressure them. I play I play Vigex as aggressive as possible. I don't really want the game to go super late. I want to aggress them, and I want to be able to play Gogeta when it matters and hurt their hand. Um, as long as you... That's the game plan. Like You have to push them as quickly as possible. That way you can get them to stop drawing cards. Um, you want them drawing the least cards possible, and then just keep your hand advantage up. Have the petrification ready for the big bomb um, if they're playing that. And yeah, I mean, I, I main board Deborah's, so the discard, I actually was able to find both of them in game one. So when he made me discard, I actually was able to use both Deborah and draw two. So that was really helpful. And um, yeah, I was able to just continuously push in. I got it down to two life. And then at that point, every attack was going to 30k combo because, you know, he has the free 10k uh, from his drop. So everything's just going to 30k just making keep getting cards out of his hand and then that was it i just caught, tried to overwhelm him and it worked so but again it was really helpful that he didn't see his unison um game two he did see his unison um we didn't i don't think we finished game two it might have been almost over um but it, it looked like yeah we did we didn't finish game two but i was I was pretty close to having game on that one as well. We showed our hands. I don't think he had a path to victory from where we were at. The game went very, very similar. He defined his unison, um, but that was really the only difference. So I was still able to kind of push through it. And ultimately, it it, it was the same result. Um, he just, I don't, I don't really know. I was drawing all the answers I needed, and um, he was not able to push me enough to where it mattered. I was staying at a higher life total. And, um, yeah, it just kind of carried the same strategy and it worked. So that was the day for me. It was really fun. I think Vigex Control is really good. Uh, if you're interested in the deck, I would suggest checking it out. I'm going to have a YouTube deck profile up on it soon, and I'm going to have a full play guide up on the Patreon as well. Uh, the one I did for Hatchack was really well received. It was like a 2,500 page article I wrote. So hoping to drive that same quality content for Vigex and, you know, hopefully everyone will like it. But that is it for my results of training, and uh, let's wrap this up with Monaka. I got a special order on a pallet of sweets for Jocko. Wait, aren't you Monaka? Monaka's delivery service. Monaka's delivery service. All right, I will only do one question today because this was a pretty long episode. 
So let's see, I will pick, um, so one of the perks of being on the Hermit Style Patreon is you actually get priority um, on the questions you ask. So today's question I will answer from a patron. And I'm scrolling through looking to pick one. Let's see. Okay, I got I got to answer this one. Uh, this is from Shangrilla36. He said, if you could get one voice actor on the podcast, who would it be? I messaged him and I was like, why would you do this to me? <laughs> because there's two answers here, right? Like I picked the obvious answer that gets the podcast as much publicity as possible, which is a little selfish, but you know, it helps our community grow. It gives us more exposure. It's a good thing. Um, or I pick a voice actor who's my personal favorite to get on the show that I think would be really fun to have a conversation with. So that's really tough. Um, oh man, I have to go with the, f I'm, I'm going with the first name that came to mind. I'm going with the first name that came to mind to get a voice actor on the show. Um, it is Chris Razor, the voice of Hercule, the voice of Mr. Satan. That is definitely who I get on the show. I've met him. And he is such a nice guy and he's hilarious. He is the funniest guy to talk to. And um, he literally sat and had a conversation with me at GalaxyCon for at least five to 10 minutes. I mean, just like straight. He had no line, no one was there. He was like really happy I came up. And it was like a real conversation too. Um, it was just a really, really good experience. Like a lot of times you expect the kind of almost predetermined conversations that you have almost like at work, you know, when you have to ask how people are doing and someone has to go into, Oh, you know, the weather. <laughs> but this was like a real conversation. He was just like a really nice guy. He was genuinely interested in me and wanted to have a conversation with me as one of his fans. And it was just a, a really wholesome experience. And uh, like I said, he, the dude's hilarious. Dude's hilarious. And um, yeah, it would be really, really fun to have him on. And actually, his best friend is the voice of Majin Buu. They're actual real life best friends. He helped him get the job of Majin Buu. So it would be really, really cool to get both of them on the show. Um, but just Chris Rager, I don't know. I just really clicked with him. Really, really nice guy. Really humble, really down to earth. And I think he would make for a really entertaining show for all of you as well. So that would be my choice if I had to pick one voice actor to be on. Now, the solid answer, obviously, is just Goku. <laughs> like, you just get Sean Schemmel on and you say, hey, Goku's on the show and we get a bunch of views, bringing a bunch of people to the game. That's probably the correct answer. But, you know, we got to do things the Hermit style way. We've never done this show for publicity or anything like that. We do this show out of a passion project because we love it. So you got to, you know, Chris Rage has got to be the answer. So Chris Rage would be number one. Now, after then, then, it, then it's Goku. Then, then we'll, we'll get the exposure up there for Goku. But, you know, I think Chris will pull some numbers too. I think it'd still be cool and uh, it'd just be a fun show. So there we go. That is it. We are done for today's show. I really appreciate everyone tuning in. If you like the show and want to support, there are a lot of ways you can. Spotify actually has a new uh, feature where you can review podcasts. So I would really appreciate it if you are listening on Spotify or even if you don't, if you can just go on Spotify and leave Hermit Style a five star, that would be awesome. Um, and of course, you can leave reviews on wherever you listen, Apple Podcasts, or you can go on Facebook and leave us a review. And if you want to do just a little more to support we now do have, like I mentioned in the podcast, the Patreon, where you can get competitive articles, videos, even one-on-one -on -one coaching with me or anyone from Team Hermit Style. Um, at whatever tier you would like to sign up for, 
all of it is greatly appreciated. We're having a blast in the Patreon and uh, yeah, it'd be really cool to see you in there. So other than that, I will see you guys again this week, this Friday. I promise I will have an episode out and I'll talk to you then. Yeah, I got the real